You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. It says that how we were created to, to get better and better and better. Like to, like imagine had the fall not come, how we could have just grown better looking <laughs> and stronger. You know, now it's like, you know, our body eventually just kind of gets goes backwards it falls apart and it gets achy and our muscle mass changes and our brain function kind of lowers but imagine that's a result of the fall so before the fall we'd have just got more healthier more creative and more interesting and and uh, just that's pretty cool uh, we've been talking about the afterlife, what happens uh, the minute after you die and uh, the Bible teaches that we were created with an eternal soul and a death that our body separates uh, uh, from our soul and our soul separates from our body. And we've been talking about this last couple of weeks and the first week was about death and the reality of death and what happens at death and God created us with a immortal soul and that that soul like a glove, uh, like a hand in a glove is separated from the glove, from the body, from this temple and um, the soul will have a destination of one or two places. Hebrews 9.27 has kind of been our our post in the ground, uh, it says this, just as people are destined to die once, this uh, completely flies in the face of of hauntings, ghosts, and reincarnation, that kind of thing. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment, every one of us. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away many sins. Just as surely as Christ died once, you will only die once physically, there is a second death, which is a spiritual death, which uh, will we talked about last week. It says, and he will appear a second time. Christ is coming back, not to bear sin the second time ever, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I'm asking, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm wondering how many of you are waiting for him? I mean, like, it may happen in our life. My grandma, who passed away many, many years ago, was, was convinced that Jesus was coming back in her lifetime. He didn't, but she still got to see him when her life was over. So Jesus may be in our lifetime coming back, or it may be hundreds of years from now. But I'm waiting, and I'm ready. So where do we go? So last week, we talked about the negative. Today we're going to talk about the positive uh, because some say heaven, but really, what is heaven? What is heaven? And where is it? Is a place on oh. earth. <laughs> Anybody know this song? Anybody that's under 30 know this song? <laughs> this is from the 80s. Uh, all right, this song says that heaven is a place on earth. It's not, uh, or is it? Is it a place on earth? Is is heaven family? Is heaven being in love? Is uh, is it a dream uh, that we just kind of don't wake up from? Is it, what's it what's it like? Most of us have an idea of heaven, but very few of us know what it is or what it really is like. Many faiths, uh, many religions have a heaven. But they're all different. They they take you to a different place. They have different interpretations. Everything from, uh, you know, if you're a Muslim and you're a male, heaven's great for you. If you're a woman, not so great. But if you're a male, then you get to go to heaven with hundreds of virgins. 
And, and that's your heaven if you're a Muslim male. If you're Hindu, then uh, you get to go to a state of reincarnation, eventually hitting a state of nothingness, just pure void of peace where you don't think of anything, have any feelings, the absence of emotions. That's the ultimate heaven for, for a Buddhist or a Hindu. But what really is heaven? Uh, thank you, um, Brenda Carlisle. I think it's Brenda, right? Belinda. Belinda. Thank you, <laughs> Josie. <laughs> All right, some of you just added that to your playlist uh, for later. Well, what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about um, the many myths, five myths about heaven, and then we're going to take a look at what the Bible says heaven is. And here's the first myth, and it's kind of represented in that song, and the first myth is heaven is what we make life here. So a lot of people think, well, heaven, you know, it'd be nice, wishful thinking, but we don't know. Heaven is what you make life here. It's not a real place. Uh, many say it's, it's, it's hopeful, it's wishful, but, you know, really, it's, it's a relationship, it's love, and, and all that kind of thing. So what do you think? Well, here's recent studies. This is uh, Barna study results, um, polling people, about 3,000 people on heaven, and the afterlife, and this is what the question was, what happens immediately after you die? This is what people said. 61% of everyone polled said that they go to heaven. That's, that's a strong majority. 15% uh, of those polled believe that they go to purgatory, and then later they're going to go to heaven after they spend some time in purgatory. 5% of those polled said that they believe in reincarnation, that they're going to come back as some other kind of being of some kind. And then... 4% of everybody said that it's, uh, they, they cease to exist. It's the end of existence. And 0.5%, that's less than 1%, think that they're going to go to hell. 0.5%. And the rest is just kind of a variety of answers that didn't register on the board. So that, that is a... Everybody wants to go to someplace other than hell, or the majority absolutely think they're going to heaven. Um, heaven is a real place. This is the question. Is heaven a real place where people live forever uh, with God after they die? 76% of Americans said that heaven is a real place, um, and you spend it with God after you die. Those that go to church, 78% of churchgoers said that when you die, uh, that heaven is a real place with God after you die. What blows my mind is that those that don't go to church, the statistical average is the same almost for those that go to church. So even some of you here, as we had talked about last week, um, don't really understand heaven or hell, um, but you, you hope that is true, that heaven is true, and you hope that hell is not, but interesting, nearly only 78% of churchgoers, here's a, one more question, how do people get to heaven? 6% of people said, be a good person. 34% said, believe in God and be a good person. And then 50, uh, 50, uh, sorry, 34% said, believe in God. 57% said, believe in God and be a good person. And only 3% said, you must be born again. So I'm curious about, just ask yourself, um, how does someone get to heaven? Because even those that go to church, most people, even in church, Christian churches, believe that you just have to be someone who believes in God and is a good person. But the Bible is quite revealing on this. What I want to do is clear up some of the myths 
Is heaven a real place? Well, the Bible refers to heaven or the kingdom of heaven 582 times in 550 different verses. Jesus talked about it as a real place, as a real location, as, as the final destination after your soul leaves the body. He came because of his desire. He died on a cross because of his desire for you to be with him in the kingdom of heaven. Biblically, heaven is a real place. It's not a place on earth. It's a place that's not here. Where is it at? Is it up there? Well, you know, up there is actually down there for those on the other side of the world. So it's not necessarily north. It's not, it's not here. It's not on earth and it's not in the sky. It's somewhere else. That's all we know. The Bible doesn't say where it's at, but we usually just say heaven, but you know, we live on a sphere. So that's, that's more of a it's a problematic. It's not literally north, but the Bible refers to it in that way. So when we look at it today, it's referring to that uh, nature in regards to that. All right. We're going to start to get a little serious here. We're going to use a lot of Bible, and I want you to try your best to stay with me. Here's the second myth, and the myth is this. People become angels in heaven. Anybody ever believe that you go, that you, well, you may not want to raise your hand, but believe that you turn into angels? My favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, in It's a Wonderful Life, you not only become an angel, but you, you earn your wings. And every time a bell rings, uh, angel gets his wings. That's one of my favorite movies. I love the whole movie, the concept, but it is bad theology. Obviously, that's not what happens. People don't become angels. It's influenced by books and movies and little figurines. You know, you know, my brother's an angel in heaven right now. Well, let's see what the Bible says. Matthew 22, 29 is where a lot of people get the idea that we become angels. And it says this, Jesus replied, um, they asked Jesus, Jesus, um, if I die and my husband has died before me and, and, and say I get remarried um, and, and then that person dies, when I go to heaven, who's going to be my husband? That was the question. And when I die, is my husband going to be there in heaven? And so they were trying to always trick Jesus. This is a very interesting question. Maybe you've asked that question. This is what Jesus responded. He said, he said, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. So that there is like, you think too small when it comes to this. And he says, for when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. All right. Now, the emphasis is like. And what does he mean? He's not saying you're going to become an, an angel. What he's saying is that when it comes to marriage in the afterlife, you won't have the same type of relationship, but the friendship aspect will remain. But the intimacy aspect of sexual relationship will not be there. You'll be like the angels in that they don't have reproductive power. They don't have reproductive ability. They don't have, um, you know, this desire to reproduce. He says, basically, you're not going to marry other, like if you're single here and you, you're not going to meet Mr. Right in heaven, you're not going to, you know, be paired up with that person that you've always dreamed of. And, you know, if I'm not getting married here, I'm getting married in heaven. Well, you'll be like the angels in that you won't get married. Um, angels are special created beings designed for special purposes. Uh, you are not an angel. When you die, you will be a glorified human, not an angel. We're going to talk about that in a second. Here's a third myth. And some of you guys are already not liking this already because, you know, by the way, I used to bother me a lot because I love my wife so, so much. 
But what I love about my wife is still going to be there, which is the next question is, heaven is not as beautiful as earth. And we're going to explain this a little bit more when it comes to the third myth, is, uh, or fourth myth. There's a movie that came out in the 90s called Michael. It had, uh, and it had um, John Travolta in it. Any, anybody ever see that movie? And it was, a, I, I used to like the movie, but it was really bad theology. Michael was an angel who was coming down to heaven to fix something. And basically there's this scene in the movie where he walks out into a field and he sits down and, and Michael is all sad. He's just really sad. And then a human comes up and says, why are you so sad? And he goes, he says, I'm going to miss this, miss the earth. This is an angel who's seen the glories of heaven, and he's looking at earth going, I'm going to miss this. And he's saying, you know, it just doesn't, not, there's nothing like this up in heaven. And, and it's almost as if it gives this impression that somehow heaven is, is not like, doesn't sound exciting to most people. They just don't want to go to hell, right? It's like, well, hell sounds terrible. And heaven Let's be honest, most people think heaven is just kind of bland. We, we don't have an idea of what it's like. We, we think that somehow the real beauty's here and that heaven is just kind of like an afterthought. Revelation 21 to 22 uh, describes heaven as a, as a massive, beautiful uh, state. It calls heaven Zion, and it's as beautiful and as magnificent as you could ever imagine. Most of the descriptions of heaven are with human eyes using earthly things to describe things they've never seen before. So if you ever describe or read these, uh, these ideas of heaven, which we're going to look at some, they always use words like, or it's as if. For instance, John uses earthly images and colors and shapes and materials to describe things that he can't describe other than using human words. Ezekiel did something very similar in Ezekiel chapter 1 when he had his glimpse of heaven and he used words like it was the likeness of or had the appearance of or it looked like. See, our, we need to remember that our definitions or descriptions of heaven are just our best descriptions in the Bible of what we can't explain. It is unexplainably beautiful and magnificent. Earth is just a glimpse into the mind of God and his creative power. Whatever experience and beauty that is here, it is most assuredly greater than you could ever imagine in heaven. I love the Rocky Mountains. I love going to Colorado. One of my favorite things to do is to go snow skiing. I just, something about being on the top of the mountain while the snow is coming down and stopping midway all alone and just, I feel engulfed by this majesty that is amazing. And I'm like, man, it's, skiing's going to be amazing in heaven. It's going to be amazing. And there's going to be no lines on the lifts, right? And I'm not going to ever struggle to get off the lift. And it's going to be perfect conditions all the time. You know, if you love the beach, if you love the ocean, and you love that, that view, man, you're going to have sunsets and sunrises you never imagined. And there's always going to be a place on the beach. It won't be crowded. Though there'll be millions and billions of people there, there's enough beach space to go around. It's going to be, maybe you like the, the quaint lakes. You know, a small camping trip with a lake and a cabin. Man, the lakes in heaven are amazing. Anything here is a glimpse of what is to come. James 1.17 says this, that every good and perfect gift, if there's anything good here, he says, it's from above. 
It's from heaven. It's from God. If there's anything here that's good, if you, if there's anything here that is, that you, by the way, God created the heavens and the earth, and every day he said, this is good. Day two, this is do, good. Day three, this is good. Day four, this is good. Five, this is good. Six, he created man. Man, this is good. If there's anything good here, it's from God. It's just a glimpse. And he says, it's coming down from the father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. If there's anything good here, it's from God given to enjoy. It's a glimpse. You know, if you guys... uh, you know, we have nice digital cameras now, but we have the Polaroid pictures. You know, we, my daughters still love the Polaroid cameras, and they put them on bulletin boards, and the film's incredibly expensive, and you get a few pictures out of the roll, and the pictures look terrible, but there's something cool about a Polaroid. You know, shake it like a Polaroid picture, put it on your bulletin board. So they have these Polaroid pictures, and you're like, yeah, that kind of looks like me. It's all fuzzy and stuff. That is Earth. It's just a fuzzy picture of what is beautiful yet to come. You know, we, we need to kind of, if there's anything good here, it's like a fuzzy Polaroid of the actual glory that we will experience. Heaven is going to be mind-blowing. I like to explain it like this. I mean, the colors, the animals, the mountains, the beaches, it's going to be awesome. Imagine a baby in a mother's womb. A baby inside a mother's womb cannot fathom the wonders and the experiences outside the womb. And, and, you know, if you're a parent, you've ever whispered and talked to the baby, you know, maybe a mom singing songs and, or a dad talking to, you know, the baby, you know, through the mother's womb, just kind of trying to describe the life that they're going to have and, and how the trees look and the animals and their dog and their, their, the puppies and stuff. And they're just trying to describe, of course, that child inside doesn't have the mental capacity to understand, to comprehend, or even even fathom or imagine what is being said. They can't can't understand the awe of a sunset, the beauty of a field full of flowers and the wonders of the sea. A baby could never connect or comprehend until they get here and see it for themselves. But until then, they're content and they're happy. And this is what it's going to be like. Likewise, we will never be able to understand the wonders and awe and the beauty of heaven until we get there. It will be beautiful. You won't be disappointed. You won't be sad to leave this place. It's not the default because you don't want to go to hell. It's actually much, much more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Heaven will blow your mind. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He says, however, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, um, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. There are just things that we won't understand until we get there, but I want you to think bigger about heaven, all right? Which kind of leads to this next one. A lot of people think that heaven is going to be boring. It's going to, they think it's going to be like all white and clouds, you know, and gold. I'm not interested in gold. I'm not, I don't like jewelry and stuff, so I'm thinking streets of gold. Some are like, streets are gold. I'm like, eh. By the way, it says streets as gold as pure as gold. So actually, pure gold, purely refined gold, is clear, not, um, not yellow. 
So you won't be walking on yellow streets, by the way. And it may not be literal gold. It's more a like or as type of situation. But it will be beautiful. If you, never mind, I was going to sidetrack. If you saw Thor Ragnarok, you know, uh, Thor's planet, that kind of reminds me of what heaven might look like. It's just quite uh, majestic. Here's the fourth myth, though. Heaven will be boring. A lot of people think that, well, there's no meaning to life in heaven because um, if there's, if there's, the only reason we know what joy is is because there's bad. And, and bad things let us know what good things are. And without sadness, there's no joy. And without pain, there's no relief. And, and we think that, well, there's not going to be meaning in life. Everything's going to be handed to us. We're just going to sit around. We get this idea we're going to be reclining with a white toga, you know, and sitting on this, like, recliner eating grapes, you know, and, and just kind of floating on the clouds or playing harps and stuff. We, the, we have these, like, cartoon images of heaven and it's nothing like that at all it's nothing like that at all it's not going to be boring two common descriptions of heaven uh, that we're often given our whole life is that we're going to float around on clouds with harps eating grapes or that we're going to stand and sing songs for all eternity and some of you you can't stand for 20 minutes as we do worship in this room and you're like man standing forever (laughs) some of you our worship time is not exciting because uh, maybe you don't like music or you're just a personality is different. And so the worship part is not something that's really big to you. So the idea of worshiping forever and ever, all day, all the time is like, that sounds really boring. But I don't want to go to hell, so I guess I'll have to go to a worship service forever. These are misconceptions. This is what the Bible says. Psalm 8410 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Psalm 1611 says, you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will love it. So what will heaven be like? Let me tell you what it's going to be like. First of all, if you go to heaven, this is what it's going to be like. Number one, you'll have no regrets. You're going to have no regrets. Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Man, there will be no regrets. There will be no sorrow, no crying, no pain, no death. You will have an experience in heaven that will not be boring but exciting without pain and suffering. Well, what if I'm bored? What if my friends aren't there? What if my family's not there? Am I going to be sad if I go to heaven and somebody's not there that I love? Well, the Bible says this. Isaiah says, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered. Nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. There will be no remorse. There will be no sadness For those that are not there, you will not be disappointed, and it will not be boring. What else is it going to be like? Well, number two, uh, you'll be made new. You're going to have new bodies. You're going to have new hearts. You're going to have new minds. Philippians says this. Paul says this to the church in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. He says, uh, Christ followers are called this, citizens of heaven. 
where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly wait for him to return as our Savior. He will take these weak and mortal bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Everybody say, like his own. You want to know what your body's going to be like at the resurrection? You look at Jesus' body after the resurrection. We've taught on that before. Using the same power that he will use to conquer everything everywhere. No more sickness. You're going to have a new body. No more mental anguish. No more mental disabilities. No more bipolar. No more depression. No more anxiety. No more uh, uh, learning disabilities. You're going to have a new mind. No more weakness. No more chronic pain. No more disease. You have a new body. No more pain. No more hurt. You're going to have a new heart. You'll be made new. We won't be angels. We will be us with unique, immaterial bodies. And then when Christ comes back, the Bible says we will be given a glorified body of flesh at that point, at the resurrection. I've got notes, uh, 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 passages in your notes if you want to look up that a little bit more. 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 12 says, but now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then in heaven, I shall fully known, even as I am fully known. You will be known in heaven. You know, I'm going to get there and I'm going to go, where's David at? What street does he live on? You know, where's Carol? I'm going to say hey to them. You know what? When we get there, you're going to know me. I'm going to know you. My wife, who I love, who's my very best friend, will continue to be my very best friend. She will be there in my family and with me. The, the purpose of marriage and procreation will not be necessary anymore. That aspect of our relationship will change. But I will know her as she is, and she will know me as I am. And we will know each other but here's the cool thing about it. We're going to know each other the way we were meant to be. Sometimes you guys can be real jerks. Sometimes we can be real selfish. Sometimes we have bad habits, and sometimes we're not the person we need to be. You know, thank God he's working on us. But when we get there, all that garbage, all that stuff, all those hang-ups are going to be gone. And we're going to get to know each other the way we were designed to be. And the things that we love about each other will be there, and we're going to get better just like we were created to be. This is beautiful. You will be made new. Here's a third thing about what heaven will be like, is heaven is going to be awesome because you're going to go to some incredible parties. Right? Some of you are like, it's not, it's not boring. Think of the most beautiful places on the planet. That's heaven plus better. You're going to have an amazing event. You're going to be able to eat whatever you want and never have to worry about calories. <laughs> never have to worry about cavities and, and, and gaining weight. Man, I love brownies, and I love cupcakes, and I love prepackaged garbage like ding-dongs and ho-hos and oatmeal cream pies and nutty bars. I, little Debbie, it, would you move into my house? <laughs> I love these foods, but I can't eat them all the time. And I love cake. You know, I love doing weddings because I get to try a lot of cakes. And I eat a lot of cake. I got to try the groom's cake and the bride's cake. Man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to eat as much. And I'm not going to get sick. 
The Bible says in Matthew 8, 11, Jesus says, and I tell you this, that many will come from all over the world and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Man, there's going to be food. There's going to be music. There's going to be family. There's going to be friends. There's going to be laughter. That's the parties in heaven. It's all the elements that we love about being with each other. We're going to have a blast. We're going to have some great meals. In fact, the, the, the great uh, marriage supper of the Lamb that Revelation talks about is a great feast in, in Revelation 19 where all of the believers from all over the world, all every tribe, every tongue, every nation gets to sit and have a feast, have a party. You know, when Jesus rose again from the dead, he is, represents the kind of glorified body we're going to have. And when he rose again from the dead, he had fish, he had breakfast, he had dinner, he cooked a meal for his disciples after his resurrection, and he ate. See, that's going to be part of our future as well. We're not going to have to say goodbye to food and bye to music and bye to friends. And, you know, we're going to have parties in heaven. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a blast. Here's the fourth thing that heaven's going to be like. Uh, you're going to be learning new things about God and the universe. Now, I'm a, someone who likes to learn stuff, and, and I like to discover stuff. I mean, I read just history just for, for, for joy. I'll get on this kick where I'm reading like Roman history for like three weeks or Mongolian history or about Vikings or, or I'm reading about the, you know, Northern Africa, Egyptian type history. And I'm just, just fascinated. I just want to learn, learn about the stars and the galaxies. Listen, the Bible says this, in him, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And when we go to heaven, we're going to have access to the creator. And if you like to learn, if you like to discover, and if you want to know more, you're going to have access to the greatest understanding, and you're going to have eternity to learn about so much that you never imagined. It won't be boring. You won't just know everything. You're going to grow in that understanding. Romans 11 says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Isaiah 57, God is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 says, oh, to know him, it will take eternity to comprehend what is the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of Christ. We will have the opportunity to learn and to grow. We'll never stop learning and growing in understanding. For some of you, uh, learning stuff has been a challenge for you. And, and reading and just, you know, maybe you're not a, an academic kind of person. Well, you're going to have a perfect mind. You're going to have a new mind. You're going to have the ability to learn and to grow and to, to, to comprehend things you never imagined. Here's the fifth thing that heaven's going to be like, is that you'll be given rewards and responsibilities. Those who make it to heaven will be judged according to how we lived our life on earth in Christ. And the Bible says that we will then be given rewards and responsibilities based upon this life and how we lived it under Christ. We won't just be with God. We will reign with him. First Timothy 2.11, Paul says to Pastor Tim, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. That means you can count on this. Is that if we died with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure, we will also reign with him. 
Reign over what? We'll reign over the new heaven and the new earth. There'll be new areas of responsibility and there'll be things to do, things that we will love, things that we will cherish. Think about this. God created us, created Adam in the garden before the fall to work. He said, Adam, work the garden, tend the garden. The word there means create. It means to not manage, but take what I've given you and make it dynamic. God is going to put us back in that scenario where he's going to give us the tools and the ability to take the things that he's created and do some exciting things with them. And we will grow in that understanding. We won't have bad days. We won't have off days. We won't have days we wish we never went to work. And we can call in and skip work anytime we want. Because it's heaven. <laughs> but we we're going we're gonna to want to go to work. We're going to want to be part of that. It's all part of going back to God's design. This life is more like a job interview for eternity. Jesus, in one of his parables in Luke 19, said this. He says, this is what we want to say, what we want to hear God say. Uh, in this parable, God says to his servant, he says, well done, the king exclaimed. You are a trustworthy servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted you. So you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. This is a parable uh, about when Jesus comes back to see what we have done with what he has given us. It's the principle of responsibility given in heaven to those who are responsible with the gifts that God has given them on this earth. Here's the sixth thing that heaven will be like is you will learn to truly worship in the presence of God. Some of you are like, man, I don't know about the whole music and singing forever. Listen, our very being and all that we have, all that we do will glorify God. Whether we're singing shouts of praise into the Lord or we're skiing down the backside of this amazing mountain on another planet or if we're working and tending and creating something somewhere else in heaven for God's glory, all that we will be doing will truly be an expression of worship unto God the way we were designed. And when we do gather for worship, it will not be an event that we will grow weary of. It will not be something that we will get tired of and wish the song would be over. It will be one one filled with everlasting awe. I like how Revelation chapter 4 describes these angelic beings surrounded around the throne. In verse 7, it says that these heavenly beings that, have, uh, that represent the four corners of the earth and, and all the nations of the world, it says that they are forever doing this day after day and night after night before the throne. They keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come forever, day after day, night after night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I can imagine they would bow and look up and see something new, something fresh, something like, whoa, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come forever. Just saying that forever. As the Bible says that they're day and night forever. Revelation 7, 9 talks about our worship and it says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And I love the multicultural, beautiful diversity. When we get to heaven, we won't all be one color. 
When we get to heaven, we won't be all one language. We won't be all one race. We will be ourselves in the beauty of diversity that God created us to be. And we will, in that diversity, all these tribes and tongues and languages and nationalities and ethnicities will stand before the throne. And he says, and standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes, which represents that we are washed clean by the blood of the lamb. I don't know if we're literally wearing white all the time. I don't think so. That is more symbolic of that we are forgiven. It represents those who are born again, robes with palm branches in their hand, which is a celebration of hallelujah and hosanna, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Revelation 19 also describes our worship by saying this, then I heard what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder if you've ever been to a professional sporting event. And something happens on the field and the whole crowd goes You know, if you listen, if you're watching sports on TV, it just sounds like an ocean. You know, if you hear it in the background of NFL sports, it just sounds like constant noise. And if you're in the arena, it's like thunder when something happens. Man, when they, if you're at a soccer game, professional soccer, it is insanity. If you've ever been to one, it's crazy town at these sporting events at professional soccer. Man, they're hitting the chairs. You know, if you ever go to a hockey game, it's like, it sounds like thunder in the room. He says, a great multitude, and it sounded like thunder like an ocean waves, and they're shouting, praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, to know the God who made you, who poured his life out for you, to stand before him, God in the flesh, Jesus, we will worship, and you will truly know what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. And then this Seventh, last thing, what heaven will be like is, uh, this is the best part, is we'll be with Jesus. This surpasses all of the other benefits and the beauty of heaven and on earth. To be with our Savior. That joy, that pleasure will surpass all other pursuits in this life. If you're worried about who's not going to be there, it will all fade in the arms of Jesus because that will be enough. We will be happier, more thankful than we could ever dream possible. We will touch and taste and rule and reign. We will move. We will run. We will laugh. We will celebrate. We'll never have a reason to cry. Heaven will be anything but boring. It will be the most wonderful place God has ever made for his people. Psalm 84, 10 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, however it is written that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has for those who, again, I want to point out, who love him. So there's one more myth I want to end with, and I'm going to need some volunteers for this. And this myth is being good will get you to heaven. Being good will get you to heaven. Not everyone will go to heaven, even if we are good. So I've got uh, a little illustration here I'm going to do. And uh, I've got, uh, let's see if I can do this within uh, our time limit here. All right. So this is evil, ultimate evil over here. All right. This is ultimate evil. This is 
ultimate good. Good, good people. Good things, good people, good life. All right? So you see evil, you see good. I need uh, about um, four or five volunteers. Can I have four or five volunteers? All right, come on up here. Four or five volunteers. I need, I need four more. Just stand right here for a second, if you could. Just right down here up front. All right, come on, Mo. Anybody else? I need three more. All right, David. I need two more volunteers. Two more volunteers. Two more. Anyone? Anyone at all? All right, Janet. You're going to volunteer? All right, so we, I like this. Look at this diversity of age. I love this. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have you uh, pick, you out there pick who these people are going to be, all right? And, and we're going to then, uh, I want, first of all, uh, Janet, you come up here. And Janet is going to be, uh, here, come on up here to the steps if you feel comfortable. Oh, you can stay down there. Sorry, we'll put everybody down there. So I have a question for you. Janet is going to be someone who's really a good person, just totally based on good actions and deeds. Can you name a real live person who's good? couple of, like, who's a good person? When you think, man, that person's a good person, they've got a lot going for them, they're good. Can you think of anybody? Who? Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham or Billy Graham who's passed on. Someone from the Graham family, Franklin or, or uh, Billy Graham. Anybody else? Uh, somebody else? Because that's a good one. I, I, someone, uh, I was with, with figure someone would say Mother Teresa, so I was going to say your mother Graham. But so if, if she is a Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, or Mother Teresa, you would say she's pretty good, right? So Janet, come on over here, and you're going to be good, okay? She represents, how good is she? Well, she, but when we start thinking of good people, it's like we're like, you know, struggling. All right, now... Um, David, because I know you can handle it. Come on over here. Um, I want you to think of someone who's really evil. <laughs> Osama, bin Laden. Osama bin Laden. Anybody else have someone evil? Hitler. Hitler. Okay. Adolf uh, Bauman. No, Osama bin Laden. Uh, no, we'll just say, say you're Osama bin Laden. Come on up here. Or, uh, yeah, oh no, you're going to stay down here. He represents evil, so he's pretty evil, right? Osama bin Laden, Hitler. Well, here, you move on this side of the evil. So, uh, evil, yeah, a little bit further. There you go, just so they can see the sign, all right? So, uh, evil. <laughs> Not, well, there's, you can't. You are evil. But I don't want you to hold it because there's a, a picture I'm doing here. All right. Now, I want you to do three random people, and uh, he's going to be the first one. Random person. Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin. That's random. What? That is really Irwin. I mean, uh, very random. Okay, where would he be? Is he good or bad? Where would you put him? Here. Come on down here. Where would Steve Irwin be? Where would he be? Tell me, right or left? This way here, just follow me. How, tell me when to stop. Is he better than Franklin or Billy Graham? Why don't you go a little bit further over, Janet, because Billy Graham's a pretty good guy. So where would, where would he be? Further, less? Is he as good as Billy Graham? Is he good about right here? Okay, so why don't you step back? All right, now you guys come up here. Who's this young man gonna be? Is it anybody? Bobby Brown. <laughs> All right, Bobby Brown, if you know who Bobby Brown is, where would he be on this scale? All right, come on over here, Bobby Brown. All right, you're going to be over here. You're not quite as evil as Hitler and Osama bin Laden, but 
People don't like, he's a, he's, he beats up his wife and his girlfriends and he's not a good person. And uh, he's vulgar too. But, you know, does that mean someone's good or evil? So, all right, come on up here, Mo. One more. Give me a, a person who is good or evil. Just purely based on their actions, celebrity, whatever. Ed Blair. To, I'm not a celebrity, but <laughs> I don't want to be on this scale. <laughs> all right. Who, it, Tom Cruise. Is that what you said? Okay, where would Tom Cruise be on this scale? Is he good or is he bad? I feel like I'm in between. He's right in the middle. Just right here. So come over here. You're not quite evil, but you're not like a really good person. So step back by the stage that way. All right. So we have um, here. You're 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 personified evil. Hitler, Osama bin Laden, that kind of thing. Bobby Brown, um, people just don't like you. Tom Cruise, you're kind of, you know, vanilla, kind of basically in the middle, but you, it's a weird cult that you're in. So, um, and then uh, Steve Irwin, um, which is so random. <laughs> Apparently people really like you, so you're good. And then um, Mother Graham over here. So she's, she's uh, now I want you to take a moment and I want you to, where would you be on this? I want you to mentally picture yourself based purely on your good actions, a good person, or are you a bad person, an evil? So where would you place yourself? Think about that for a second. And as you're doing that, I'm going to pull up another sign, and I'm going to have you guys now decide where this would go, all right? So where on this chart, on this graph, is this going to go? Hell or heaven, all right? Now, picture where you're at on this line, if you're a good person or a bad person, or, or where, what you feel like. I, I think most people, you know, like that stat says, 64% uh, of people think they're, they're good, so they're going to be over here. But where, where would this go? Tell me, tell me where I should move to the left or the right. This way? Tell me when to stop. Tell me when to stop. Right there? Okay. So... <laughs> So Steve Irwin, sorry, buddy. All right. But you would say based upon good works. Now, here's what the Bible says. The Bible actually says that it is over here. All right. Because the Bible says there is none good. There's no one good. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how many good things you have done. Everyone on earth has fallen short of God's glory. Romans 3.10 says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks. All have turned away. They have all together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. God says, every one of you have offended me. Every one of you, regardless of how good you think you are, you have offended me and you've fallen short. And so therefore, because of your sin, your good deeds can never get you to heaven. Even a good person will go to hell. So that's why Jesus came to die, because our good actions cannot put any of us in heaven so you might say, well, I go to church, and I'm a good person. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Titus 3, uh, 4 and 5 says that we are saved not by our works of righteousness or by our good deeds. And Isaiah 64, 6 says that our good deeds or our actions are like filthy rags, dirty, filthy, disposable rags. Ephesians 2, 8, Paul says this, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself or from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works. Our actions are being good so that no one can be boastful or arrogant about it. Let's give it up for our volunteers. You can be seated. See, this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. Because no one, no one See, Jesus died for Hitler, and he died for Billy Graham and Mother Teresa just the same. Because our good actions can never give us entrance to heaven. This is why he came. This is why he gave his life. This is what the cross is all about, so that you might find your home in heaven. And on the way there, find hope in this life. See, here's the truth, and I want to end with this thought in a passage is this. Deep in our hearts, we're never going to be satisfied on this earth. So well, heaven's here. Well, you're never going to be satisfied here. There will always be a void and a longing for something else. Like an uncomfortable visit with family who you don't know. You just want to go home. Likewise, this world is an uncomfortable visit. No matter what you get, you still wonder, is this all there is? Hoping that maybe the next thing you purchase or buy or the latest edition or the upgrade will satisfy the aching. But there's nothing in this life that will ultimately satisfy our hearts apart from Christ. It's like longing for another time, something that was lost. That's why we love nostalgia so much. Uh, the good old days, a childhood memory, a lost love. Uh, yesterday when troubles were not here, were gone. See, this is our desire to get back to the garden. We just want to go back and go back because we think that somehow if we just go back, it could get better. But God doesn't want us to look back. He wants us to look forward to the new garden, to the new home, to the new heaven. Heaven's where every possible dream is found and where every hope is fulfilled. It's a place where I will know and love my God and my friends and my wife and my family while I will see the one who died for me and I will be enraptured in his presence and will forever live in meaning. This is what John 14, Jesus said this, and I love this, one of my favorite passages about heaven. John said this to his disciples. Chapter uh, 14, verse 2, it says this, uh, verse 1, it begins, don't be troubled. You trust God, now trust in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Some translations say a mansion, but basically it just means a, a dwelling place. There's a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know where I'm going and how to get there. And the disciples said, no, we, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have any idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said this. This is the theme verse of our church. Jesus said, well, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This was said in reference to preparing a place for you in heaven 
and coming back to get us. See, many of you will be there with me. You might be my neighbor. But some of you may not be there. For the Bible says in John 3, 5 and 7, it says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. It's not by being good. You must be born again. See, a day will coming, is coming when we will all die. I will die and you will die. But you have to ask yourself this question. Can you trust God with this life and the life to come? Jesus turned his death into life. Next week, we're going to start a new series, but I want to end this series with this passage right here. The, the beauty of, of, of all of this is what Jesus says uh, through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. We sang about it uh, this morning. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? How we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you confess Christ as your Lord and you will surrender your life to him, you can have the peace of knowing your eternity is secure with him. You can't earn your way there. You're, you'll never be good enough. But thank God Jesus was good enough and his cross paid the price. Let's pay. I pray. God, I just thank you, Lord, that uh, God, you did prepare a place for me. God, there's a place for me. If you're sitting here and you're wondering, God, is there a place for me? Is there a place for me at the table, Jesus? Is there a place for me in your kingdom? If you will trust Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, if you will surrender your life to him and, and, and understand that God created you for much more than you have now and for much more than what you're doing now, if you will embrace his relationship and his purpose and his meaning, it will, it will begin to make sense. I want to give you that chance right now. If you're here right now and you'd say, you know what, I think I finally want to do this thing. I want to give my life to Jesus. Then in your own words, right where you're at, say, Jesus, here's my heart. Here's my life. Go ahead. Say it in prayer. Talk to Jesus. Say, God, here's my life. Here's my heart. I give you everything that I have. And in your own words, say, God, forgive me of my sin. that you have a place prepared for me. I'm not alone. I have a home. God, thank you so much. Show me how to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.